Well, okay. So let's let's play. Let's let's do a little uh, imagination right now. A little uh, playing. Okay. Before we get into the the meat of God's word, I am going to help you in discovering what kind of reaction we get. We I don't play the lottery. I don't believe in gambling. I don't believe the Lord wants to. I look at the lottery as gambling. But we're just going to pretend today that you won a Powerball of $300 million. So even if you take the one-time payout, you're looking at at least $160 million. Your financial concerns, if you're wise with it, are now over. You, you have money to bless others, to do all the things you want to do. $160 million are getting deposited in your bank this morning. As you sit here, you're at church just knowing that the transaction is happening. Now, is anybody willing to just show a reaction of what they would do? Nothing's too crazy. Come on. Well, I should clarify that. But there are some things that we shouldn't do in church. But anybody want to show what kind of reaction you would have? See, I, I kind of suspected on a Sunday morning early nobody would react. So let me help you out. Let's all do this. Remember the Toyota commercial? We're not going to get up and jump and do oh, what a fill and drive. Just put everybody hands up like a, a Y, like you're doing the YMCA. Ready? Now smile real big. Okay, now Ken, hurry, come to the piano. We've got everybody in the position to worship. <laughs> We're going to start a series today called The Six Superpowers of the Supernatural Church. Give you a little tongue twister you have to say for six weeks. Six Superpowers of the Supernatural Church. If you want to turn to John chapter 4, verses 19 through 26, that's the core scripture. We will cover others, but that is a core scripture. John chapter 4, verses 19 through 26. Superpower number one for the supernatural church. Now let me, let me clarify a little bit. There are a lot of churches all over the world. A lot of churches in the United States, a lot of churches in Arkansas, and a lot of churches right around us. I, I do not intend today, I will say a lot of things that may turn a little bit of a negative eye towards uh, church in some aspects, but please understand I am the biggest proponent and cheerleader for the organization God put together that Jesus intended to be our vehicle for truly uh, growing as a community. So I am all for church. I don't also believe that there are the, that the church is, is in terrible shambles. I believe that there's a lot of good things happening, but we will look at some problems in the church. But we all, no matter who you are, you may have come from a more, uh, I'm going to be careful when I say this, liturgical, I said lethargical the other day, and they thought I intended to say that, liturgical churches, and so you, it may be a little more ritual for you. you, you don't understand this whole thing about getting excited in church, this is more about rules and following them and being a good um, appearing Christian, right, so if you have something stirring in your spirit, the Holy Spirit's stirring in you, then you're looking for a supernatural experience. Not supernatural in a generic term, like going, uh, Jen's been praying against a psychic place that she thinks closed down, um, and those type of things, but supernatural as in the supernatural power of God. We're looking for a supernatural experience. And so um, we're going to look today at the first superpower of that supernatural experience or that, that supernatural church. Unfortunately, in thousands of years of church society, there's churches that may still not have the right idea about authentic worship. So we're going to look at worship as the first real superpower 
of a supernatural church. So when we read, if I read right now, which we're not going to just yet, in John chapter 4, verses 19 through 26, it's not all unlike many situations that can be seen in our culture. In this day and age, people worship everything from themselves to money to trees to made-up deities. Yes, I rhymed. And then there are even some re, uh, religions that worship a hodgepodge. It's becoming popular again to just include all gods. It, it's interesting where we just went through about a decade ago where it's like atheism was on the rise. And, and then now another generation comes that's curious and says there must be, and this is from studies that are out there, that these younger generations are saying, I want to believe that there's an absolute truth. I'm just not sure in which you find it and where it is. And they're searching. And so now um, there's this kind of uh, new thing happening where it's an old problem with a new hat and younger generations saying, what if it's just that it's all gods? Now, I know that I am shaded and my mind is, is different because I grew up in church with a focus on the one true God and at a young age I accepted him. So I know it's hard for me to step out of that completely because it impacts me in everything I do and think. But think about that for a minute. How can someone believe that there's just this smorgasbord of gods hanging around, all with different stories told, and, and, and very little of those stories include each other, and they're told from different parts of the world where different people groups had their god, but yet this feeling that maybe there's just many ways to heaven. You know what I believe? I believe it's not that they truly don't believe that there's an afterlife. That when someone believes in that kind of pluralistic belief, that truly, deep down in their heart, they really don't believe there's anything after life. They just, they're just enough concerned about missing out. They don't want to say that. It's kind of like um, if you ever start to write God and you start to write with a lowercase g, right? That superstitious feeling of, oh, God might strike me dead. Oh, I remember. They used to not even write his name because it was so holy, right? And so... There's this idea, you know, stirring in them, I believe, this is my assessment, that I don't want to be held accountable for not believing in something, so I'll just blanket it by buying into this, there's a bunch of different gods, right? But really, if they were truly honest at the heart of it, I don't think they can really, and within reason, believe that. I, I would deal better the, with them saying, I'm an atheist, I don't believe there's God, than to believe there's many gods. So, Jesus had the answer to this kind of worship, this worship of, of so many different things. And, I, and it's a kind of worship where they just don't want to offend anyone or hurt some little God's feelings. But he had an answer 2,000 years ago. So, in John four nineteen through 26, it begins, Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is not only is the only I'm sorry is the only place of worship, while we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worshipped? Well, this is an age-old problem, right? If we were to leave right now and say, "Let's go on a little field trip," we're going to go down to close to where we're building a church, the Gamble Road, but we're going to stop just shy of the high school. And we're going to walk into a really nice-looking building there, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Now, I'm going to guess because I've had a lot of interaction uh, with uh, those who believe uh, in Mormonism, 
is that there is going to be discussions either in their, uh, their classes or in their main worship setting that they are the only one true church. So this is not, this thought process is, is not different. The, the difference is, is that the Samaritan woman is, is saying, I don't really believe that you have the right place. Um, but she's talking to someone who really does have the right place. So Jesus replied, believe me, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father here in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know so little about the one you worship while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming and is already here when, the, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. The Father is looking for anyone who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. You see, it's easy to look back to prior to Jesus dying on the cross at the Old Covenant and in our hearts a little bit blame the Jewish people for not just having this great relationship with God like we have today. They went to the temple, they killed animals for sacrifice. Only one guy goes, <coughs> only so many go into the Holy of Holies. And so, you know, they can't pass. But that wasn't their decision. That was God's setup. That was the only way that they had available to reach him. So Jesus is not condemning this Samaritan woman saying, you don't, you don't even know God. He is saying you don't know who you serve, and he's not praising that the Jews are better. It's just saying that there is right now only one way, and, and you are not following that. But there is a time coming when it's going to be available to you, and it won't matter whether you're Jew or Gentile or where you worship, as long as you're worshiping the one true God. So the woman said, I know the Messiah will come, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. This is kind of funny. This is like one of those times when someone's telling you a story that's really about you and it kind of went around and they didn't know that it was about you. I, I had that happen about the story of, of New Song. Sometimes people have come to me and said, oh, I heard you know, that this church, this and this and this, because they're thinking I'm just the new pastor. They don't know I've been here through the whole thing. And uh, I say, and I heard there was like a spiritual son who was supposed to take, I said, yeah, that's me. Um, or... Uh, when I was at Walmart, actually we had someone visit here that used to work with me at Walmart and began telling the story of how the prayer group started at CMI about this guy who was wrestling with God about starting this prayer group. And I said, I know, that was me. I remember the journey on the way to work. That was me. Um, so Jesus here is, she's saying, I know the Messiah will come, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. So just like the culture in Jesus' day, we too see false worship happening. And we need to know what false worship is. Here, here's the thing. Some of you may sit here and think we're back to Sunday school and you're giving me something very elementary, Pastor CJ. Let me tell you something. Head knowledge is not everything. Your heart will lead you astray. We already know from Scripture that the heart, we have to be careful what the heart does because it may lead us astray. And listen, with with the commercialization of the New Testament church where, where everybody has a book, everybody has a new way of doing church and worship, and there's all these. I, I get so tired of all the things that I get tagged on on Facebook from other ministers uh, where it's like 10 things, 10 mistakes churches make today. Five things pastors must do for a growing church. 
Three things, you know, I, I get it, and there's probably some good truths in there. Some things that are very God truths, uh, guys that learn from mistakes. It's just the barrage of all these, you know, five things for this, three things for this. And boy, if you just get those all in a recipe book, and every time before Sunday I go through them, then we're just going to see things explode. Well, I believe in learning, but this is, this is the kind of thing um, where uh, culture of Jesus today where we need to know what false worship is. Some of us need to know that, that that TV evangelist or that ministry we're following has some very bad things motivating it. Sometimes people get caught up in, in cults or other things and it's a very slow process because they just aren't paying attention to what real worship is and they, they, um, they miss the point. So false worship, it's selective worship. It chooses what it wishes to know about God and omits the rest. Anytime you're in a ministry where uh, they seem to shy away from something that's very scriptural and just never want to touch on it. You know, you, you talk to the pastors like, yeah, that's just not something that we really focus on here. And it's part of the gospel. You need to be very careful about your association with that ministry. The Samaritans took as much of scripture as they wanted and paid no attention to the rest. And Jesus is pointing out, you don't really know who you're serving. So one of the most dangerous things in the world is a one-sided religion. And people today are similar. They play pick-and-choose worship. Uh, it could be referred to as like buffet Christians, where you come when you feel like it. You, you take only what you think tastes good. And, and if anything steps on your toes, which may be the Holy Spirit, you'll find someone else that will agree with you. So it's one-sided worship. And Jesus' words are to worship in spirit and truth, not one but both. Okay, you've heard that before, right? Most of you heard worship in spirit and truth. How much thought do we give to that? What is he really saying there? I mean, how can you really do that if you don't put into action the words you sing? Now, this is an interesting thought. Now, I'm going I'm to split hairs for a moment here and maybe make Ken a little nervous. Um, maybe make you nervous. Depends on, on how you see this, but... When we sing, I bow my knees, or I lift my hands to worship you, and we're singing those words. And listen, I'm not just trying to get a physical reaction here, but when we sing those things over and over, but yet we don't ever put them into action, are we really singing the spirit and truth, or are we just singing words because it was on the menu in the worship service today? Are we really getting the point of why that was put in there? You know, I know Ken, I know he prays, and the Holy Spirit leads him. And we may sing the same song for a long time, but maybe because he's not released to let it go. It's just like when I keep harping on one thing in my sermons over and over because the Holy Spirit won't let it, me let go of it. I have a wealth of things I could get up here and speak about if I was left to my own. I, I could come up with new topics every week, but there's certain things that sometimes, like last year on Community, we harped on through a whole year. And I've, I've been accused of, your messages sound the same. Well, when the Holy Spirit lets me move past certain topics, I will. But I, there are certain things we're not getting. And it's okay. I'm with you on this. I'm a part of you. So if you're not getting it, then I'm not getting it enough, right? You know, Moses had the same problem. The people were rebelling, and he was responsible for them. He handled it wrong. He got mad, called them rebels. He struck the rock and said, speak to it as leaders. We, we pay sometimes because um, we don't do the right thing. We follow along with the people. But, but how can we really sing some of the words we sing over and over and they never are put into action. So Jesus' words are to worship in spirit and truth. 
I'm afraid many of our churches today may have great music, but it's emotional worship with no meat, no substance. And some may have great theological depth, but there's no feeling, no spirit, no emotion. Now, I don't want to start sounding too much old-time Pentecostal, nothing wrong with that, but sometimes that's associated with um, not a lot of content, uh, uh, you know, just a lot of spitting and slobbering, and right? Everybody sat back like you do here, except my family because they're used to my spit, right? So, you know, no, we don't share drinks or anything. But, but listen, here's the thing. There's songs I've said before to a worship leader. We're not singing that anymore. Not so much to Ken. I have in the past. There's been maybe one or two have said, hey, let's sing this. and kind of, Or I suggest. But I want the Holy Spirit to lead him. But I've had times before. There was one song that had a part in it that talked about God giving you a sloppy wet kiss. And it was a fad. And it was on radio. And it was great. And I said, I'm sorry. But when we sing everything else and the Spirit's moving through me, we get that song. Maybe it's my own personal problem with it. But all of a sudden, I lose everything that I feel like the Holy Spirit was doing to me. And I'm more worried about the facial reactions of everybody behind me. You know? Like, what is going on? So I said, we're not singing that song anymore until I have a comfort about it. If I'm wrong, the Holy Spirit needs to convict me as a leader. But I'm the shepherd, so I have to say, I've had a bad feeling about it. We're not singing it. So here's the thing. Some of the songs that are coming out now could have the most rock tune I'm not sure heavy metal, because I can't quite go that far yet. Some, some say, you know, hey, God uses all kinds of music. He does. But, but he could have something that normally I wouldn't listen to as a tune or a tone. But the words are so powerful, I know that the Holy Spirit's inspired them, and I can get into that. I'm only about knowing that the Holy Spirit is working through me through that music. Not so much about who the artist is or all that. I, it is important for them because it's because of their relationship with God and God using them, speaking to them, that the worship gets inspired, Right? But other than that, I don't really need to follow them. And then it can be some of the oldest music we've ever heard. You know, old hymns. I sing it and I just, it just gets me. But many of our churches, I'm afraid that we're going along with fads and there's no meat, there's no substance. And some have great theological depth, but there's no feeling. So some of them have great words, great biblical meaning, Straight out of scripture, it seems, but in the way it's been arranged and what was behind it and the motivation in creating the song, it has no emotion. It's just more about your intellectual thoughts. So when we use the word spirit, we throw that around, especially in evangelical Pentecostal circles. We use the spirit so much, which we think we're using it in reference to the spirit of God or his spirit moving through us, but sometimes we um, say the spirit really moved in service, right? The spirit really moved in that service. But really what we're talking about is an emotion, and it was really more emotionalism. And, and here's, here's the thing. Think of the spirit of God like this. We, we did a little imagination right at the beginning. Let's do it again. Let's imagine there's a deep, flowing, raging river going right through here, right through the sanctuary, all the time, never stops. It, it's a river that's uh, ancient from the beginning. It's going to go to the end, but it's running. And, 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 and the banks do slope up to where the water calms a little bit on the sides. And you're over here, right? Now you can walk towards that river, and you put your toes in, and you get a taste, 
But you're like, oh, I don't know, that looks kind of swift. I'll step back here. And you're like, hey, you know, maybe I can go a little further. And you go a little further in. That was all right. And then, then you decide, oh, I get in, and you get swept away. See, the Spirit of God is always moving. It's not that he moved in one service and didn't move in the other. The Spirit of God is always moving. Now, now the pastor can miss the point, take it a different direction, and lead people away to not see, not be able to spiritually see and feel that river and experience it. People can choose to sit in their seats and not go further in until they're swept away with it, right? But the Spirit of God does not move because of a song or not move. He's always moving. It's whether we choose to engage him. There's some songs that aren't my favorite songs. There's some that don't really tend to, if I'm just listening to them on the radio, don't get me. But all of a sudden in the morning because of what's happened that week and the prayer led up that service, I'm already hungry and thirsty for God to do something in my spirit. And because those words have truth in them, intellectual truth from God's word, I end up jumping straight into the river and get swept along. But because we tend to try to express ourselves, we're not always the best at it, we'll say, oh, the spirit really moved this morning. Uh, he moves every moment every second it's whether we choose to get in and let him move us and when worship is all spirit or let's say in the term the way it's used a lot of times and, and shouldn't be it's emotion mere emotionalism and all truth though and no spirit no emotion is just intellectualism and that's where some of the some of the liturgical churches the danger in the structure they have, and I'm sure their ministers probably face it and preach on it, is that it becomes all intellectual and nothing moving inside. No, no spirit movement. Not taking the truth that you're hearing and singing and putting it into action and letting the spirit put it into action in your heart and your life. So Jesus said you must have both spirit in the true meaning of the word, the person of the spirit, and truth. You cannot pick one side. So true worship is worship that approaches God with the whole person. And, and truth, uh, through our intellectual focused remembering of, of the truth that is hid from his word in our hearts. And then there's a the conviction through the Holy Spirit of our continuous actions that brings separation between us and God. So you've got these moving parts happening. You've got the truth of God's word starting to break through the crust that's forming on your heart because of the stuff that's happened between the last time you really connect with the Spirit and now. So you got it hammering, breaking that. And, and so the truth is hammering at that. And then here comes the Spirit, and the Spirit begins to, to open you up and to move and convict you. And, and what are you being convicted of? Those things that let the crust form. So you become willing to let go of those things and be broken open by the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And the truth of God's Word begins to do the work once it can get in. So, this type of, the type we described of emotion only or intellect only worship is superstitious worship, not a supernatural one. We, we'd end up with a superstitious church, one that's doing it out of religion, out of just simple uh, a methodical religion. Um, it's a worship given not out of a sense of need uh, or out of our real desire, but basically because one feels that it might be dangerous not to. Fire insurance. Some of us worship like it's we're purchasing fire insurance. I'm here to do my due diligence because I want to be a Christian and I want to follow Christ. And so I've got to make it through this worship service and feel like I did it adequate enough to please him so that I can truly be identified with him. But that is the wrong motivation. It should be out of love for him and an emotion towards him. 
and, and knowledge of his word impacting you. A lot of people will refuse to walk beneath a ladder. Many a person will have an unpleasant feeling when a black cat crosses their path. And not that, that they fully subscribe to those type of superstitions, but he, uh, they have the feeling that there might be something in them that they better play it safe. And that is what the Samaritans were doing. We might want to worship this God just in case we make him mad. But Jesus said at the time, the time is coming, and it is now that we must worship in spirit and truth. And so worship isn't to be some academic exercise, to jump through academic hoops, um, or to get off in, in our emotions and away from what the Spirit wants to do. But worship is that expression that encompasses the whole of you, a whole of who God is creating you to be. God is literally trying to break you apart during worship to begin to put you back together the way he intended you to be. He's trying to break you down. That's why I talk about wanting to break loose and run and do things that, that take away our pride and take away what we thought our identity was and begin to strip all those things away so that God says, now I've got you in a very vulnerable spot where you're not usually comfortable, but you're in my hands, and now I can put you back together the way I intended you to be. So is there a right way to worship? Yes, Jesus said to worship in spirit and truth. So to worship in spirit and truth is... First, declaring God's person. When you worship in spirit and truth, you're declaring God's person. Uh, Psalms 47, uh, 7 through 8. For God is the king over all the earth. Praise him with a psalm. God reigns above the nations, sitting on his holy throne. So it's declaring who God is and the God of gods, the Lord of lords, who sits on the throne over all the earth. And it's also, secondly, it's thanksgiving for God's provision. This is the time most key for you giving thanks for God's provision in your life. Psalms 126, verses 2 and 3 says, We were filled with laughter, and we sang for joy. And the other nations said, What amazing things the Lord has done for them. Yes, the Lord has done amazing things for us. What joy. Some of us need to infuse joy back into our lives, into our walk with the Lord. And we can get that through thanksgiving and worship. God can return the joy to your heart through being thankful in your worship. So it is joyful thanksgiving to God alone for all he has provided, is providing, and will provide for your life. All-encompassing, everything God's done. Now third, hang on here, celebrating God's promises. That doesn't mean celebrating only when he answers the way you want him to answer. Praise God he healed me, now I'm going to praise him. Praise God he got me the job, now I'm going to praise him. No, Psalms 31, 19. Your goodness is so great. You have stored up great blessings for those who honor you. You have done so much for those who come to you for protection, blessing them before the watching world. But true worship is even worshiping when you don't get your answer. He's done great things, yes. But I'm going to celebrate the fact that he made the promise that he'd take care of me. The very fact that he promised he would. You know, my kids, and I'm sure like many others, I'm glad they don't expect dad to be perfect because I miss it sometimes, right? But, but when I tell them, I will take care of you, they have this over-encompassing trust that, hey, we may not get the toy we want every time. We may not always have everything the next kid has. But as far as it goes, dad will not give up on ever taking care of us. And so we have this heavenly father that he can do anything. 
and, and he's promised to take care of us, and we need to rest in his promises. And then the next one, acknowledging God's presence. Psalms 139, verses 7 through 10. I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you're there. If I go down to the place of the dead, you're there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest ocean, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. You can never be away from God. Your spirit may be separated if you've walked away from the Lord in fellowship, but wherever you are, he is always watching. He is always there. So he's not a part-time God, but that he is both present here and that he will be present with you through anything. The next, rejoicing in God's path to life. There's many of us who have given up hope on what's coming next. We're just, we're just tired of, of waiting for God's direction. We're tired of, of not seeing things happen in our life, things not changing, and so we've given up. But we should rejoice in the fact that he has a path for our life. Psalm 16, 9-11, No wonder my heart is filled with joy, and my mouth shouts his praises. My body rests in safety, for you will not leave my soul among the dead, or allow your, your godly one to rot in the grave. You will show me the way of life, granting me the joy of your presence and the pleasures of living with you forever. The fact that he has prepared a place for you for all eternity. No more tears, no more sorrow. It's a reason to rejoice in his path for your life, your spiritual life. No matter what's happening here on earth, sickness, death, oppression, persecution, we should rejoice in the path that he has us on. And finally, responding to God's personal call. Psalms 37, verses 39 through 40. The Lord saves the godly. He is their fortress in times of trouble. The Lord helps them, rescuing them from the wicked. He saves them and he will find shelter. they will find shelter in him. So when you come to worship, really worship, God will always call you to a deeper relationship with him. Every single time. Let me tell you something. You have a bad week and you come in and worship starting and you're just like, God is still. And you imagine with a bullhorn. He's still saying, I am here. Snap out of it. The devil is a liar. I felt that in my spirit this morning. We're singing a song. I almost just shout out, the devil is a liar. He is a liar. Your life is not stolen. Uh, you are not dead. You are alive in me. And he wants you to wake up out of that and to begin to worship him. So, God will always call you to a deeper relationship with him, either through salvation, a deeper call to walk with him, a deeper call to commit your service to him. And when he does, you need not ignore it, but respond. Here's the thing. God responds very swiftly to us disobeying. Now, I, I, I know this sounds more like talking about punishment and, and, um, and a negative here, but sometimes disobeying is just not giving him the worship he deserves. And he responds very swiftly. Here, here's how I've seen it happen in my, my life. I, I have an opportunity to worship him. And, and I decide in my mind I'm too busy, I don't have time, but I'll do that later. And then I go on to something else in my, in, in my life. And, and because I didn't take that time where he's trying to draw me back to the wellspring, to be refreshed, and, and to draw close to him, I begin to react badly, and I create my own problems. God's not doing bad things to me. I am doing bad things to me. 
you know, experience it this week. Uh, the pressures of, of, of working on the stuff with the bank, and after about 60 hours in a week, I'm tired, and me and my wife are starting to, you know, every little thing is like there's a little different tone to the talks, right? And it just creeps in. You begin to create your own problems because you didn't respond when God was trying to pull you in. You know, there's times God downloads to me, this is what I'd like you to do with your family now. I'd like you to pull together and I'd like you to begin to, to sing praises, you know, in the mornings or evenings together. I'm like, okay, God, and then the week's busy. I'm like, oh, yeah, we're, we're going to start that. Maybe we'll start that next week. And things just start going wrong. And then God reminds me, that's what I asked you to do. That was my answer to your need before you knew you needed it. You're going to have a busy week. You need that refreshing with your family, and I need to keep you all tight because you've got to be effective in ministry, and you've got to pull together. And that's what God's doing. He's talking through the priest of the home and saying this is what you must do. When I ignore that, I create my own problems. So when, the, when you worship in this way, even the offering is an act of worship. Even when you give your tithing offering or above, above that or missions, it, it's an act of worship and obedience. And it is worshiping with all that you are, your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength, your resources God's given you. So our worship as individuals and as a church should be, regardless of its style, and I'm going to use this term, wow worship. They used to have some CDs that came out, right? It was a collection of worship. Wow worship. Big letters. Let me explain. Wow worship is when you or someone else can walk away from a worship service not saying, oh, that was a nice special music or that was a great sermon. But when you walk away saying, wow, what a great God. You know, I, I, I like encourage myself. And, and I'm not saying that I would feed off of it, but when someone says, hey, that was a great sermon, Pastor. I feel good in myself to do that, but I feel this little check in my spirit that immediately makes me want to say, praise God. Because it wasn't me, it was him, right? I'm giving credit where credit is due. And so it was not a great service because of how I may preach or how the worship, I'm sorry, Kim, it may not be because of you, but it's wow because what a great God we serve. How about this? Let me give you another acronym here. How about STAND? S-T-A-N-D. Spirit and truth and now different. You left different than you came. You came in, you worshiped, and through that worship experience, you're now different. Maybe by a little, in God's eyes probably a lot, but you left, something changed in you. That's how we should encounter God every time. We leave different than before we encountered him. Unfortunately, some churches worship in a way that generates responses. Like I heard the little girl when she was saying uh, her bedtime prayer, she said, Dear God, we had a good time at church today, but I wish you'd been there. And unfortunately, sometimes that's the way services can go. For while worship as an individual and as a church, you must come to worship with first an open heart. It's taking off the mask. It's letting God see what's in your heart. He already sees it anyway. That's one of my struggles with helping people with addictions or others is they tend to hide when they messed up and they disappear on me. And I'm not able to connect with them. My phone numbers change or they quit answering or this or that. And they're gone because they don't want to endure the shame of, hey, I messed up on the path I was on, the good path I was on. I messed it up. I ruined it. But what they don't realize is it's nothing to do with me. God already knows. And the same thing with your worship. Why come in with a mask? Why come in and, and, and not feel like I can raise my hands or I can shout or I can do whatever stirs in my spirit? Or, or, or like we talked about recently, 
if our spirit's not stirring, then we need to be hungry for it. Maybe we're filling ourselves with the wrong things, right? Wednesday night we talked about you, you fill yourself with the wrong junk food and you won't be hungry for dinner. Maybe we're filling ourselves with junk food, junk, spiritual junk. But whatever it may be, we're not feeling that st- stirring or we won't respond to it. And so you have to come with an open heart. You're not pretending. You're not being a hypocrite. You're not putting on a show. You're simply coming to worship, to praise, and to thank Him. And let me challenge you in this. Let's just say for a moment that you don't feel the same as I do. You disagree with me that you do not need to raise your hands to worship God. Let's just assume that. Let's assume you don't feel like you need to, to stand. And we're, we're leaving out those that have physical things that, that are keeping them from, okay? I'm, I'm, I'm not heartless. I know that God can use you. But there are some that are very capable but will never respond in an outward way. And so let's talk about that for a minute. Let's just say that's the case. And you're like, I'm not going to put on. I'm going to wait till I really feel like it. I'm not going to put anything on. But see, you've got the cart before the horse. Because what you're really saying is, my will is too strong to let go of what God is putting through the messages through the pastor to say, I may need this, and I'm not willing to try it to find out. Because something happens when you don't feel like it. There's times I've just had a bad morning too. I come in here, and I start to stick my hands up, and I feel like I don't really feel this. But if I just close myself in God and I'm just saying, I surrender, Dad, hold me, I'm surrendering, then something begins to happen and he starts to break loose those things. But I could stand there like a post and I could let that stuff weigh me down and keep me from it and Satan's more the happier to keep you in that spot. So let's just say for a moment that sometimes we got the cart before the horse. We think that we're going to eventually just feel this thing that's going to make us worship when we never take any action towards letting the Spirit bring the feeling. We've got a barrier up and we don't even realize it. Also, a holy, we have to have a Holy Spirit focus. It is taking focus off the personal agendas and, and saying what I can give to God. This is a sacrifice and offering. Here, here's the thing we need to get back in our hearts about worship. Think about the Old Testament. I'm taking my most expensive lamb. This is going to hurt financially. I also got attached to this thing because when something is costly, you tend to get attached. And I'm going to take this thing, and I'm going to see it sacrificed and slaughtered for God, and I'm not even going to get the meat from it. When you come into worship, you're dragging the precious things in and saying, I may want to hang on to these and walk back out with them, but I'm just going to take a chance and I'm going to offer them to God. I'm going to lift my hands. I'm going to actually sing out loud, even if I think I can't sing and worry about what people think. I'm going to actually react to what is going on. I may not feel it yet, but I see that God is moving in others, and I want to find out if that's real or not. I'm going to put my lamb out on the uh, altar of sacrifice. I'm going to put out my precious, my precious pride or my precious, my, my precious fear. Maybe my timidity. Maybe my shyness. All those idols, those things that I say, God can't use me, God can't do this because this is who I am. And then a real hunger and thirst, as, I, as we talked about on Wednesday. Jesus said in Matthew, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst, for they will be filled. And he told the Samaritan women, Whoever drinks the water he gives will be filled and will never be thirsty. Right? Again. So when you approach worship, you should come wanting God's presence seeking God's presence, and hungering for God's presence. So you can see from Wednesday night to today that God is beginning to chip away 
through his word about the things that prevent us from truly worshiping in spirit and truth. He's saying, first, maybe you don't have the hunger because of what you're filling your life with. We covered on Wednesday night. Now this morning he's saying to you, okay, if you, can, if you can remove those things from your life and get the hunger back, and then you'll come in and bring a sacrifice before the Lord, then I will be able to reach in, chip away with the truth of my word, begin to break, the spirit begin to break that shell, and the truth of my word actually begin to create action in your life and serving me the way I created you to serve. And then you have to have a true hope. I admit that sometimes you may not approach worship with uh, a hope for future, but it's okay. God will help you with that. But approach it with the hope that God has an answer, that, that you can find strength and a hope that in your, your searching, uh, because you come to worship with an open heart, a Holy Spirit focus, a hunger. And I assure you that while you may not have approached it with a, a real hope, you will leave with one. Remember, stand, spirit and truth, and now different. So when each worshiper comes to worship in this way, then there will always be a powerful moving of God's spirit in his presence that will equip and enable the church to move mountains. When I talk about my experience up here, it's not meant to put it before you and say, look at me. It's to say, look, this is what God did in me. Not what I did, but what God did in me. This morning, there's a point where God brought out a shout on me that felt different than other shouts. See, he's always doing new things. Or sometimes he's bringing things back that you needed, that you've done away with. But there's something, there was a low grumbling in my spirit that just came out through my mouth. And all of a sudden, I was like, yeah. And then after that, God increased it and increased it. And you've got to break through that point to where you're suppressing it. You're not letting the Holy Spirit do any work you want to be changed and so the church that worships in spirit and truth has a powerful attraction it strips away the things that block the eyes and the heart it strips away personal agendas it strips away false pretenses and mass wear you want to reach the young people today you start enacting what we've preached about today because they are searching for a place where it's real truth where it's truth and action where, where there's emotion connected with absolute truth that's what they want. I recently heard uh, a speaker say that most people now, when they leave jobs, it's not because of better pay, the younger generations. They don't leave because of better pay often. That might be in the backdrop. But a lot of them are saying, I'm just not making an impact here. I want to make an impact. They want absolute truth connected with emotion. They want fulfillment from absolute truth. So it becomes real and genuine, your worship. And people see it and they know it. And they feel it with all that they are, their heart, their mind, their soul. That's why I've walked into worship's experiences before where your knees begin to shake because you feel the presence of God. Your hands begin to tremble. Your lips begin to hammering. You end up on your knees at the altar and you don't even remember how you got there, but you just know that the Spirit of God was all over you in that place. They want a God-sized hope, a soul that hungers, but they want to be filled and a heart that knows that God cares. So true biblical worship satisfies what, what we don't have. And it keeps us from shopping around for man-made substitutes. It changes our hunger patterns. We stop hungering and thirsting for man-made fillers. I want to close with this, and it's kind of mixing Wednesday with, with today, but... Back when I was really into fitness, I decided to go just as long as I could without any sodas. And I went about a year and a half 
before I had one taste of a soda. And I got to the point when someone cracked open a can of Coke across the room, I could smell the sugar in it. You think that's crazy. Maybe I just have really keen senses, but I could smell it. And the first time I took another sip of that soda, it tasted like pancake syrup to me. It tastes like straight pancake syrup with fizz. I was like, ugh, well, how, how did I drink that? And, and, you know, a, a year and a half prior to that, and I'm like, big gulps, right? Big gulps, give me a lot of that. I could drink all that all day. And, and you know, some of us can do that. And it may not look like the same on us that it does on others. But here's the thing. I went so long, I stopped even craving that. And when I tasted it, I'm like, why did I ever want that? And see, that's what real worship does. Like we're talking about on Wednesday night, is we're actually starting to fill ourselves, allow ourselves to be filled with things that will, will truly fulfill us, will truly do what God wants to do us, and then we just want more, and we want more, and we want more, we want more. And then when the devil comes and cracks that can open of that junk, you can smell it far enough away, you're like, yeah, I can tell that's coming my way. I don't want anything to do with it. I don't want that syrupy. I tried to make it sweet so I'd like it. All it's doing is hurting my body. It's crushing my marriage. It's crushing my, my career. It's damaging my relationships at church, everything else. I don't want any of that. And so we're able to turn away. So worship is as key in your spiritual walk as anything else you do for the Lord. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, I just pray today that God, as we're thinking about a, a wow worship, Lord, I can walk away today from today's service not saying wow, or saying that was just a great uh, worship set, that was just great songs, um, that, that uh, while Ken did a good job, that it's not just about what Ken did, but God, I truly can walk away today, even before this message, before your Holy Spirit had a chance to work on me and others uh, through this message, I, I could truly walk away and say, wow, what a great God we serve. But I am leaving different today. From spirit and truth, I'm different. Lord, I just pray that now each person, as they begin to settle in their heart, which direction they'll take the truth of your word. Lord, that when they have the chance to worship you, they don't have to wait till Wednesday night when, when they've lost the edge off of what they felt from the conviction of the Holy Spirit today. But God, that this afternoon when they go home they thought maybe I'll turn on that worship music and just listen to it a little bit or this evening that God they're obedient to you because you're trying to take and build off of what is happening today through our worship and the word that God you're trying to reach into their lives and begin to put into place those things that will draw them unto you that make them hunger and thirst for you and we thank you for it Jesus we just pray right now as everyone stills their heart and begins to speak to you in their own words. God, they make the commitment to truly worship in spirit and truth. With every head bowed and eye closed, I'm just going to give you a few moments. I want you to have a conversation with the Lord and your takeaways from what, from what the Lord has brought to you today. Don't be afraid to make commitments to Him. I know we often are fearful that we won't meet Him. But he'll help you, but if you honestly make a commitment to Him. He'll do a work in you. Let's just take a few moments.
Jesus. Now we just lay at the altar, Lord, those things that the enemy would try to bring against us, God, that we uh, ask for your help. Those things we've settled in our hearts today, that, God, you'll help us to fulfill our commitments to you, Lord, to, to come in not out of a sense of duty, but, Lord, ready to truly worship in spirit and truth every time. Not just at New Song, but, Lord, in, a, in our homes and in our cars and wherever that you get to prompt our heart, Lord, to worship you. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.